Come on, let's welcome the, cha the chapel in Richmond. And a big welcome to the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. Love you guys. Awesome, awesome. You can high five somebody and you can be seated. Well, we are starting a brand new series. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But I always love to look in the back of the room at the camera and say good morning to the chapel in Richmond, Scott's Edition. Love what God's doing in the city. We love you guys, our church family. And then it's a joy to welcome men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. Just uh, two weeks ago, we had the joy of being in the jail with you. And that was nothing like being with you. I think 35 of you baptized and just to hug you and see you face to face. You're part of our family and not a, not a project to us. You're our people. We love you today. And, uh, before we dive into the message, I just want to say uh, I'm so thankful for the team God's given us. How many have enjoyed the messages the last month? Pastor Joel, Jason, KJ, Nate. Come on, how many know we have great leaders in our church and thankful for what God is doing? And, um, and I also want to say a huge thank you to you. We had the chance, Katie and I, to sit with uh, some of the leadership team of Convoy of Hope just two weeks ago, and they're one of our biggest missions partners. And because of your generosity, you know every year we, we give between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year to Convoy of Hope. And, and uh, this year, one of their main projects is taking tractor trailers of food into Ukraine. And so they use, uh, in fact, you may have seen the... Uh, NBC actually ran the uh, video of it. Um, but it's incredible to see Convoy of Hope trucks, but they're Ukrainian people because of how dangerous the, the journey is of the trucks, some of them getting hijacked and shot up. And, and, uh, but it's incredible because of your generosity to just see um, this food. Not, not, they're not just feeding people, but what they're doing is they're partnering directly with local churches that love and preach Jesus and giving those churches the food, and then they become kind of the hub in that part of Ukraine to disperse the food. And so as, as heartache hits that land, this amazing thing is happening, and that the churches of Jesus Christ are the center of compassion. And, and just to see their reports and hear from some of the pastors, I just want to report back to you, the local church in the middle of sheer hell breaking loose out there is growing strong and preaching the name of Jesus. How many think that's pretty incredible? And I just wanted to honor you today and just honor you today. You know this, about 15% of what comes to the chapel comes through the chapel, and so thankful for your generosity to be able to make a difference around the world. So thank you, thank you, chapel, that missions giving has been so strong, and then we're gone for a few weeks, but to see your generosity towards our next campaign in July has been absolutely incredible. We're excited to bring you some more updates on that, but I just wanted to pause and say, as your pastor, I'm thankful for you and love you and appreciate you, and, and like, like you heard a minute ago, today is the first day of of 21 days of prayer and God God kind of gave me a threefold uh, burden on my heart for this that God would uh, that God would heal people of uh, physical situations that God would give a work in people's families and that God would give brand new faith in our hearts through these 21 days of prayer and so if you're comfortable today would you just hold your hand just like this come on let Jesus as we kick off 21 days of prayer <laughs> we need your power we need your strength. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. King Jesus, would you open our eyes that we might know how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and that we might be overflowing with wisdom, oh God. If we believe that you'll do exceedingly, 
abundantly above all we could ask or think. So revive your work in our hearts. Revive your work in our church. Revive your work in our city. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Tell the person next to you, you look good today. Come on, tell them that. You look good today. We're gonna get going here today. And I was uh, reading a documentary on Ray Charles. Come on, somebody, Ray Charles. And uh, he was sharing, this is not a good thing, but he, he really loves women, Ray Charles does. And he loves all kinds of women. And the book was saying they were interviewing him. He, loved, he was describing all kinds of women he likes and, uh, you know, uh, um, skinny women and, and uh, less skinny women and, 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 and older women and younger women <laughs> and short women and tall women. And, and somebody said, and somebody said, Ray, you know, you, you like, and he said, I've never seen an ugly woman. That's what he said. <laughs> and then he said something amazing to me. He said, uh, it's amazing how good people can look to when, when you're blind to what they look like. And I, and I felt like the message as we get going on, on the series of David is going to be that God sees things different than we see things. And so I want to challenge us today that, that we, we see things a certain way. And we're going to start in David's life. And the interesting thing is even Samuel the prophet is looking at the outward. But God's going to remind people that he's looking at the heart. In fact, it's not bad that we look at the outward. We, we can only see the outward, right? But how many know God looks different than people look, right? God sees things different than people see. And the nation of Israel is looking for a king. But God's looking for a heart that he can do something something in. And I think the same thing is true in our world and in our community that we're looking for answers, but God's looking for soft hearts that he can transform. And so I want to talk to you today from the life of David. And David, in fact, has more biblical uh, uh, content given to his life than anybody else in the Bible besides Jesus. 66 chapters of the Old Testament chronicle the narrative of his life story. And then he wrote about 75 songs or psalms in the middle of the book of Psalms in the Bible. So you've got about 130 chapters that make up either his life story or his songs that he wrote. His name's mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. To just give you uh, an idea, the character with the second amount, uh, uh, most amount of content in the Old Testament would be Abraham at 14 chapters. So, so much of biblical narrative is given to David. And we're launching a, it was going to be a four week series and now it's going to be a five or a six week. So, uh, come on somebody, I haven't preached for four weeks so it's like a slingshot. Bah! I mean, here we go. And uh, so I'm going to do, I'm going to try, I'll preach two or three. My son said to me the other day, do you know in 20 years I've never not preached in four weeks? And so my, my son, the longest I've ever not preached. So my son said to me last night, are you nervous? And I said, nervous about what? He said, you haven't preached in four weeks. And that was the first time I started to get nervous. I said, shut up. And, uh, so, but, but, you know, so much of the biblical narrative surrounding David and, and here's what happens. Samuel is the prophet and Saul is the king, but there's problems because even though Saul looks like a king and walks like a king, he's got a heart problem. How many know we need righteous leadership, right? And, and Saul's wandered away from God. And so God tells Samuel, Jesse has some sons and I'm going to choose one of his sons to be king. And so Samuel goes and all of Jesse's sons come one after another, after another, and finally, Finally, Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? So seven sons go by him, and God says, nope, 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 
no. And then he gets to the, to the seventh and he says, no. And Jesse says, well, I guess there's still, there's still the youngest, but he's tending sheep. Have you ever been forgotten? Come on, David's forgotten in the field. Have you ever wondered where your evitation is? Come on. RSVP, there's a party. Hey, guys, guys, guys. Well, how come I didn't get an invite to the party? Come on. Oh, none of you. This is the so cool crowd. Okay. No, Midlothian. They're like, no, mm-mm. Well, well, here, here's the here's the point. When Samuel uh, 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 needs to, God says it's none of the sons. Jesse hasn't even called his own son David there. And let me just say this: How many know wounds are part of life? His own father didn't think of him. How many are grateful that God can heal the broken wounds of our life? And, and, and so finally, Samuel says, well, send for him. We're not going to even sit down until he arrives. I love that. Don't you like that? We're not even sitting until he arrives. And, and until the day Samuel died, he, he didn't even see Saul again. Okay. So here's what's going to happen. David's going to be anointed king. And Samuel's going to break away knowing that Saul's reign is coming to an end. And Samuel's brokenhearted about this. The Bible says that he mourned for Saul. Have you ever had a situation you hoped would go a certain way, not go a certain way? Samuel hopes the reign of Saul will be good, but it is not. And God comes to Samuel, and I want you to see this, because God sees different. And he says, how long will you mourn for Saul? God will say that to some of us today. How long will you mourn for this situation or that how long will you stay in how many know grief is important you can't deny your 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 pain but how many know you can't live in it forever come on so he says all right how long will you mourn for Saul I get it that didn't go good but eventually you got to fill your horn with oil and be on your way like Samuel I know that disappointed you so let's pause let's process it let's go to a couple of counseling sessions but eventually you're going to have to put away the varsity jacket and forget the big game come on and he says, fill your horn with oil and move on. Come on, fill your horn with oil and move on. Come on, say that with me. Fill your horn with oil and move on. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, fill your horn with oil and move on. This is the weirdest sermon I've ever heard. It's because Samuel is caught in mourning. He's caught in disappointment. He's caught in what didn't end up the right way. And he's just languishing there. He's stuck there. I went to seminary in Alabama. And that's when I asked the Crimson Tide into my heart. And I, 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 I know we're, we win the national title every single year. It's just what we do. And some of us are still looking back on the national title day like, what happened, Nick? What happened? How many know you? Sometimes you just have to move on. Come on, yeah. Fill your horn with oil and move on. For God says, I have something new. I've chosen a different king. Let me, let me give you a few things that God sees different than we see. Here's the first one. God sees our disappointments, but he wants to help us turn the page. God sees our disappointments, but he wants to help us turn the page. He says to Samuel, I know it didn't turn out right with Saul, and I understand you might even need to grieve that for a while, but you can't live in that place because I have more for you than that. I don't want you to get stuck there. And it's so easy to get stuck there, isn't it? Grief and pain and disappointment and bitterness and unfulfilled expectations. Somebody said disappointment is the gap between your expectation and reality, right? You married him because he was perfect. 
Come on, you married her because she had it all together. That's my favorite, pre, doing premarital counseling. The couples always say stuff like, he's so laid back. And he says, well, she, and she keeps me organized. And my favorite is, I'm like, I cannot wait to see you in five years. <laughs> he never does anything. She's so controlling. I th- I'm like, I thought he was so laid back. You love that. Some of you are still dating. That's okay. It won't be you. No, never is. It won't be you. It won't be. Disappointment is the gap between our expectation and our reality. And Samuel had hoped and dreamed and prayed that Saul would be the king people wanted him to be. But he wasn't. He came up short. And and now he's mourning that God's saying, I'm going to choose a new king. And yet he's getting stuck there. And God says, I understand there's a time to mourn. But the Bible tells us there's not only a time to mourn, but there are seasons of life. There's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to dance. Come on, there's a time to mourn and a time to... That means there's a time to face the brokenness and the heartache and the disappointment and what didn't turn out right. But I can't just live there forever because there has to come a point where I lay down my hurt and disappointment and I step into the new season that God has for me. Otherwise, I'll compound my problems by not only being disappointed by yesterday, but carrying my disappointments of yesterday into my today and tomorrow. And now I'm double victim by the pain that happened yesterday. And and now I'm just carrying it with me bitter angry Mm. and God says to Samuel isn't it time how long will you grieve for Saul fill your horn with oil and and move on and he has to learn to move on and I'm convinced that for some of us when we think of the past it was not nearly as good as we think it was and it was probably not nearly as bad as we think it was In fact, I'm convinced that we do one of two things with the past. We either worship it or we demonize it. How many know there were problems in the past, right? I've told you the story. My father-in-law, or my, Katie's grandpa lived to be 103. And when we got pregnant with our first child, he said, you can't bring a child into the world the way it is. I thought he would be happy. He wasn't. He's like, why did you do that? And, uh, and he said, the world is so messed up. And I, so I said, Homer, can we talk through your hundred years of living? Remember the Depression? Oh, that was terrible. And World War II? Oh, that was terrible. And, we, and, and, and the flu of 19... Oh, uh, how many know by the time we got around to it, the, the Gulf War didn't seem as bad? You know what I mean? Here's all I'm saying. If we're not careful, we, we, we either memorialize the past or we always grieve the past. And the past is the past. But how many know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And you can leave, live in the yesterday, but I want to be in the forever kind of side of God's heart. And God tells Samuel, you, you got to see the way I see. Yes, I'm disappointed that things didn't go the way I wanted them to go with Saul. But now you've got to face the facts, look it in the eyes, and move on. you got to turn. How many know one chapter does not make a book unless you stop reading the book in that chapter? And he says, fill your horn with oil and move on, right? Turn the page, press forward. And so, so he arrives at Jesse's home, and when he arrives, he thought he saw the king for sure. Samuel saw Eliab, who's the oldest of Jesse's sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said, don't consider his appearance or his height. Can I just pause for a second? The reason, and I'm not just saying this because I'm short, okay? 
The reason they picked Saul to be king was because he looked like a king. He, the Bible says he was head and shoulder. He's tall. He had the Instagram. He had the, oh. He's that guy. You know what I mean? Like whatever that guy is. And, and, and you would think they would learn that Saul looked like a king but didn't have the heart of a king. But Samuel, who's actually a prophet, falls into the same trap of only considering the outside. I'm preaching to some 22-year-old girl who's dating a guy who's got some problems on the inside, but he looks good on the outside. And I'm telling you, don't do it. This is free preaching. Your mom's sitting next to you going like this. We're going to give you a chance to pray at the end and let him go, let him go. We're going to... Move on with this. Because if we're not careful, we focus on the outside and not on the inside. How many know we live a culture that focuses on the outside? Make it up, dress it up, uh, 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 tuck it in, push it forward. And, and how many know you, you get, I don't care how good he looks, how good she looks, over time, gravity and life, they're just going to look worse. They're just going to look worse. I mean, on the wedding day, that's as good as it gets. It is downhill to the grave. For the Lord does not look at things as people look at things. For people look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks, look, look at this. God, God sees the ordinary and values the heart. <laughs> if you're here and you're like, well, I'm not the Eliab, the big, impressive, that good because you don't need to be a big person. You just need to be an ordinary person in the hands of an extraordinary God, right? God sees the ordinary. In fact, there's nothing special. In fact, the Bible warns us about trying to be other than ordinary. Should you then seek great things for yourself, do not seek them. David was anything but extraordinary when he's chosen. In fact, his own dad doesn't even think to call him. This king wasn't even on the headhunter's list for the next CEO of the nation. He was in a forgotten field far away, not visible, but he's, by the way, even when you're not visible, you're still valuable to God. He's far away tending his father's sheep. He's living in, and he's literally living in obscurity and monotony. He's a shepherd boy. In fact, in fact, that's what his father says. He's tending the sheep. I didn't think to bring him because he's got the worst job of the whole family. He's the shepherd. He's far away in the field. He smells like sheep. He sleeps with the sheep. He lives with the sheep. He's, he's, he, he, he got, he's the youngest. He drew straws. He lost. And there he is in obscurity and monotony. Surely God wasn't working in obscurity and monotony. <laughs> but guess what David was probably doing in obscurity and monotony? He probably had nothing to do, so he probably took a slingshot and started practicing throwing stones at a tree. That'll never come in handy, will it? I mean, there's nobody around. I'm just, but I'm getting good at throwing these stones. There's not, I'm, nobody can see me, but day after day, I'm not wasting time. I'm improving my craft. And you know what's going to happen one chapter later? A giant Philistine named Goliath's going to come. And how many know what God did in monotony is going to be used for deliverance, right? 
I mean, you say, well, he had nothing, he had a lot, a lot of extra time on his hands, so he had a little harp. So he just started practicing his guitar playing and singing some songs, songs that nobody could hear because he's on the backside of the desert. Only the sheep can hear him sing, surely working on his singing and his worship and cultivating his soul and his craft before the Lord. No, that won't be used except that he'll write 75 of the 150 psalms that are now the most sung songs of all of humanity. How many know in the middle of monotony of getting up and going to work and changing that diaper, God is at work in the in the faithfulness of, uh, we want him to work up all up in the miracles. No, no, no. He's working in the monotony of our life. He's working when nobody can see him. And I, I'm just here to challenge this idea in our culture that it's what's outside that matters. If you just get your resume glossy enough and your Instagram polished enough and you put through enough filters. Have you ever met somebody that you, were, you, you, you hadn't seen for a while and you only saw them on social media and when you saw them in person, Katie will say, that's them. I'm like, it can't be. Do you see what I, this can't be. And you pull them up and you're like, bro, this isn't even right. You know why the psalmist warns us. Here's what he warns us. Do not lift up your horn on high. Promotion doesn't come from the east or west for God is the one who sets one up and one down. Here's the thing. The world would say Eliab was the choice, but God, when the world was looking for a king, God was looking for a heart after him. In fact, let me show you something interesting. Eliab was the oldest brother, and, and he looked the part of the king. Even Samuel the prophet saw it. But I want to show you his attitude, and, and then we'll come back to chapter 16. Because if you flip the chapter one page, and you go to when the Israelites are camping out, and the Philistine Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, is taunting the armies of God for 40 days. David is sent on an errand to deliver lunch. By the way, he will be anointed king in this chapter, and he'll still deliver lunches to his brothers. How many know faithfulness God honors? But as he goes there, I want you to see the attitude of his older brother. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned in anger at him and asked, why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness, those few sheep, those few sheep. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You've only come down to what he had. He had, he had a problem in his soul. I want you to see this. He had a, and God doesn't, God detests this. He had a critical spirit. And I'm telling you, I really believe that there's one thing that can limit the work of God in our life. It's when we become professional critics. In fact, I was thinking this the other day and I just processing the last couple of years of COVID and it's occurred to me that we live in a culture that has become addicted to pessimism. Like we can't handle the thought that everything's not going to be awful all the time. In fact, I read an article the other day that said gas prices are coming down and here's why that's bad. And, 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 and I just, I just I'm, I'm telling you, there's like an addiction in our culture to critiquing. And let me tell you, I've, I also see this. I want to just talk for a second in younger leaders. This is, this is coming into play in the local church because younger leaders are extraordinarily critical of the local church. And, and I, I want to tell you, I went through this thing. My, I was 19 years old, my second year of Bible college. That was the year that I learned everything. And uh, 
I learned how to correct the chapel speaker, how to, uh, how to, how to have all the attitudes. Chuck Swindoll came and preached at our school. That wasn't very good. No, I, really? Because I've done nothing, and I don't like Chuck Swindoll. Here, here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. We need to, we need to love Christ's church. And in fact, how many know if, if somebody told you they loved you but were always picking at your bride, you wouldn't deal with them so kindly? And I just want to say this as a chapel. We exist for all the churches in Richmond. We're going to be pro the kingdom of God. We're not going to buy into this deconstruction, knock them down, this one, that one, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. Come to us and we'll tell you all the reasons. We're just going to put our heads down, do the work of the kingdom and love and bless other people. We're not going to become critical in our spirits. Because I think one of the things that robbed Eliab of being used of God was he had a problem in his heart with criticism. He couldn't just say, David, who, are you, who, who, who did you leave the sheep with? He said, with whom did you leave those few sheep? How many know that's what criticism is? You say, how do I know if I have a critical spirit? Your words will betray you. Because they'll have a tint of attack, a tint of, a tint of, a tint of, a tint you ever met the person that they always have correction for everyone? Come on. They sign up for your small group and you say, I lost the email. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and here's what I'm saying. Eliab, Eliab was limited what God could do in his life because of a critical. Let's stay sweet on the inside, winsome, in love with Jesus, uh, uh, for our city, for the king. How many want to be a part of a church like that? Come on, that's just for what God's doing in our world. And, And so what Jesse does is he gains his seven sons, the Bible says, and they pass before Samuel. But Samuel says, God's not choosing any of these. And he asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, these words that you could imagine would wound David and you can feel them from father not even seeing the value of his son. They're still the youngest, his dad answered. He's just tending the sheep, and I didn't think to bring him here. I want you to know this this weekend. I really believe it. God sees father wounds. <laughs> How many know there's only one perfect father? It's a father in heaven, right? And in fact, last week, we were at this motion conference, and during our lunchtime, we had some leaders and young adults would have some breakout teaching sessions with some of the speakers. And one of the speakers just touched on real quick he gave like eight points, but just one of the areas he just touched on real quick was father wounds and disappointments. Real, just touched on it. And at the end of the teaching session, he just took a bunch of questions and answered them. And you know what happened for the next uh, probably 75% of the questions had to do with just that one area of father wounds. And in fact, it was just designed to be a laid back lunch, Chick-fil-A sandwiches. By the end, people just dealing with deep stuff. Finally, there was just a prayer moment because how many know all of us have grown up in imperfect homes, Right. In fact, I think one of the most painful, challenging parts of COVID for me was the loss of my own father, you know, uh, January of that year, just, just, you know, him being very sick during, uh, during Christmas time and losing my dad in January and the loss and the pain of just, of just, you know, you want to get your, all your moments in with him, but you, you don't, but, but yeah. It was just painful, and I, I think all of us have known what it's like. Maybe you've known what it's like to be forgotten or overlooked or went through pain or difficult. I just want to let you know there is a perfect heavenly father who can heal the wounds of our earthly fathers. And I want you to know this. No earthly father is perfect. Amen, right? 
In fact, Jesus says, if you know how to give good gifts, even though you're evil, I mean, you could do your best as a dad, but you're not gonna get it perfect. But I wanna let you know, there is a God who sees our father wounds. I just wanna say to everyone in this room in Scott's edition, you've been hurt by your dad. I'm sorry that it happened that way. Maybe he walked out on you. Maybe you never had a relationship with your dad. Maybe, maybe it was abusive. Maybe it was absent. Maybe, maybe he didn't get it right in a lot of ways. I just I say to you today, I'm sorry that that happened that way. David Spurgeon said David knew what it was like for his dad to have such a low estimation of him that he didn't even call him in. He was forgotten in the field. Not visible, not seen as valuable, but God, but, but I want you to know this. God sees when human beings don't see. And when we're overlooked, God doesn't overlook it. And Samuel says, bring him to me. It's amazing. And this incredible process happens where he restores him. He says, we're not even going to sit till this happens. And literally, the Bible says, Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed David. I want you to see this in the midst of his what, brothers? Think of the healing of being one of eight and you weren't even thought of to be at the party, but you stand right in the middle of your brothers and God was saying, I know you've been hurt. I know you've been overlooked. I know you've been mistreated. I know you not only have a bad relationship with your dad, but your oldest brother hasn't been what he should be with you, but I'm about to restore and heal and still use you. Aren't you glad God can use people who have grown up in even dysfunctional environments? I won't ask you to raise your hand because I feel like a lot of hands would go up, right? And, uh, but here's the point. God is at work in our lives. And so he anoints him with oil. And the Bible says, I, I put this in the ESV version. This is my favorite version I came across. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. Come on, say it with me. In the spirit of the Lord, what? Come on, one more time. In the spirit of the Lord. Don't you love that? It didn't cut. Some versions say came upon. I saw the ESV and I was like, ooh, man. I like rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, this is a strange word, anoint, and maybe, maybe words we're not even aware of as much. But in the, uh, in the ancient world, the word anoint literally means to smear. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when I take my youngest son to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> and he says, Dad, do I have any sauce on my face? And I'm like, you have all the sauce on your face. <laughs> any. Just everywhere. Just, and he just, and it just, it just. Like, you're going to need to shower. And uh, they're like, can he have a wet wipe? I'm like, he needs like a hose or something. I mean, put him in the back. And uh, it's a picture. It's a picture in the ancient world of something being smeared with oil. And oil was a symbol in the ancient world of setting something apart for special service. How many know when we, when we follow God's kingdom, he sets us apart not for ordinary, but for extraordinary. In fact, that's why we say discover your purpose and find your place. God has given us a purpose and a place. So he anoints him with oil. And then the Bible says at that moment, the Holy Spirit rushes upon David and makes all the difference. Here's the last point today before we close, that we have a need for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes all the difference. David's going to do some incredible things from this moment forward. He's going to kill a giant. He's going to unify a kingdom. Oh, he's got some problems. We'll see them. Like along the way, he, like the Google search of David has some problems, you know. But yet there's something about God's power that comes upon this simple shepherd boy, nobody, forgotten in the field, Invisible to his father, and yet visible to God. 
And the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon him, rushes upon him from that day forward. Hey friends, this is why we do 21 days of prayer. I think you know this, but in fact, if you didn't get our prayer guide, we got prayer guides for adults and kids at the table. We got pray first wristbands. We'll have prayer cards. You can write down prayer requests. For the next few weeks, 7 a.m., we'll meet in person and 9 a.m. on Saturday, and we just one hour of prayer. You can stream it online if you can't make it, YouTube, Facebook. But we do it. September is a big month of harvest for our church. A lot of times new families, new people, new individuals, new young people. Everybody comes to church. But, but we set aside a few weeks in August just to say, God, before we rush into launching all our new groups and connecting people and doing ministry, we really need your power and your Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And the Holy Spirit rushed upon David and it made all the difference and we're believing that we need the Holy Spirit in our life right somebody said does the Holy Spirit make me better than you no 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 the Holy Spirit makes me better than me anybody need to be better than you right Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you it just makes me better than me and I know me I need to be better than me you know and the Holy Spirit comes on David and he's used in incredible ways. He kills a giant, unifies a kingdom, mobilizes mighty men, conquers, stores up resources for his son Solomon to build a temple for the worship of God. He's, he's, he, he, he writes so many of the Psalms, mobilizes choirs of armies. He restores the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God and the people of God. All that happens, but all of it happens because the Holy Spirit came upon him. We need the Holy Spirit. If you say, Pastor, what's the Holy Spirit? It's just the presence of God. It's the presence of God wherever we go for his strength, his power, his strength. It's God with us. Okay. And I was thinking throughout the Old Testament, what a difference the Holy Spirit makes in the Bible. I was thinking of Joseph's life. You remember Joseph? He was far away land and in fact, he was a slave and, and eventually imprisoned in faraway land. And he rose up to second in the kingdom. And let me tell you why. Because the Bible says, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like Joseph in whom is the spirit of God, right? In fact, the Bible tells us that Gideon, this, this uh, fearful, uncertain, overwhelmed deliverer, Gideon, who, would, who, would, who would has a small army, and yet the Bible says that he was able to win great feats because the spirit of the, the Lord clothed Gideon, right? The Bible says of Samson, that long-haired deliverer, that the thing that really set him apart, it wasn't his hair. It's the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and made a difference. And ultimately, even the early church, Peter, James, John, you talk about how great they are. How many know the early church was a mess? <laughs> Uh, Peter denied Jesus. He gets a bad rap. The others, the Bible said, followed him at a distance, right? That means they were wusses too. They were like, well, we'll we're behind you, way behind you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and yet Jesus told them right before he left, you meet in that small room and wait, and I'm going to give you power from on high. I'm going to clothe you with the power. Here, here's all the Holy Spirit is. It's God's empowering presence to come on the inside of us to give us strength and life and joy to be what God's called us to be. And that's what we launched today. 21 days, the Spirit of God came upon David. We're going to see next week how we learn to be encouraged in the middle of discouraging circumstances. We're going to learn in a couple of weeks how he's not only a warrior, but he's a worshiper, how to rebound from failure and how to build a, a troop of people that'll stand for God. So many things, but it all comes down to God's empowering presence on the inside of him. Let me tell you, all, all, all uh, morning yesterday, I just kept the light's low in this room. 
And I just walked up and down the rows. And I said, God, in the month of August, would you, with every seat, every service, every person, every need, would you just, would you just, your presence visit with us? Your presence be with us. Your, your presence. I just need your, I just need your presence be with us. Oh God, your presence, your presence be with us. Uh, a week ago, uh, two weeks ago, Katie and I celebrated my, surprised my in-laws with their 50th wedding anniversary. We, we had set up a surprise party for them in the clubhouse and they didn't find out about it. 40 people are there. It's their 50th anniversary. We've done everything we can do to decorate the clubhouse and get everyone there. And, and now's the time that they think we're going to dinner, but, but we're taking them out to dinner, but we have to somehow figure out how to get them in the clubhouse. And it got a little awkward because I said, well, we need to swing by the clubhouse. My father-in-law was like, no, we don't. We should just go to dinner. And I'm like, We need to figure out, you know, we need to go by the clubhouse. No, I'm fine. I, I, well, why don't you come with me? Should we check the mail? It's right near the clubhouse. No, I'm good. I'll wait with you. And Katie's like, we need to get them to the clubhouse. And so how, how do I get them to the clubhouse without just tell? I mean, I, I guess I could just drag him, but he's going to know. And so what do we do? And so I call one of the ladies, Judy. Come on. I, I started to really understand the, uh, the inner workings of retirement communities. It was fascinating, actually. Uh, it's pretty much junior high. And... Uh, so I called Judy. I said, Judy, we got a problem. I can't get, I can't get Ron to the clubhouse without telling him to get him a clubhouse. Well, you need to tell, we need to come up with something. What should we come up with? She said, oh, what if we tell him Genevieve's engaged? I said, that's great. Who's Genevieve? And she said, Genevieve, he knows Genevieve. We'll just tell him it's an engagement party and if he could swing by. So, so Ron, Genevieve's engaged. That's fine. Okay, but we need to go by the, ah, I don't want to, I don't, I don't care if she's engaged. No, Genevieve's engaged. For the sake of your grandchildren, we are going to swing by the clubhouse. We'll make an appearance for Genevieve. And as we're driving there, he goes, I never even knew you knew Genevieve. I know Genevieve. I love Genevieve. She's engaged. How can you not be? And we walk in and say, Bride! And Genevieve says, I'm not engaged. But he still didn't get it. You're not engaged? Then why are we here? This guy, you know. Because I'm telling you, I need your... Because if I show up at a clubhouse with all this food that my wife made me pay and the dumb balloon arch that took us days to construct, sorry, Katie, and, and I don't have you with us, this whole thing doesn't matter. I need you with us because after 50 years, get in here. I stayed another week. I bought Invent Insurance for this dumb clubhouse. They made me get a million dollar event insurance policy. when I, I Whatever, I have so much venting to do on this thing. Get in there and enjoy it. Because without your presence, nothing else matters. I'm telling you this. We can roll out small groups and cool signs and brand new t-shirts. But if we don't have the presence of Almighty God, we don't have anything. Oh, to have God's presence. And the Bible says, and the, David was smear, anointed with oil, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And you know what the Spirit of God does? It makes you the mom you could never be, the dad you could never be, the husband, the wife, the worker, the neighbor you could never be. How many need the power of God's Holy Spirit in our lives? Come on, stand with me all over this room, can we, today? And if you're comfortable today, just hold your palms out like this all over this room. What if we just let our voices just lift a little in worship to God. Just say the name of Jesus today. Say, Jesus, I love you. and We honor you, oh God. We hold our hands up today, oh God. 
Oh God, without your presence with us, the whole party doesn't even matter. You're the guest of honor. You're the one in whom we've gathered in your name, oh Jesus. And so we know, David, we're going to learn a lot of things about him, but it's because of your presence. God, the chapel, we are nothing without your presence. Oh, that you would visit us, says your people. Oh, that you would revive your work in our midst, oh God. Oh, that you would restore broken families and heal sick bodies, oh God. Oh, that you would lift up the name of Jesus in our midst, oh God. Oh, that you would do something in the heart of Scott's edition in the middle of Midlothian, oh God, that would go beyond the, the ideas or creativity. It would just simply be the God of heaven who rides on the chariots of the clouds is meeting among a people and his presence is there, God. So, oh, how we need you, God. Oh, how we need you. We're desperate for you, oh God. You alone make the difference. You alone change the atmosphere. You alone do only what you can do. And we magnify you, oh God. We glorify you, oh God. We praise you, oh God. Hands lifted, we magnify you. Let us exalt his name. Oh God. No one beside you, Lord. No one beside you, Lord. All the honor, all the praise. Honor and praise. Oh, come on, magnify him. We magnify your name today, oh God. Oh, we magnify the Lord. We exalt your name. 